Well, I card you. Good money, Gia Deebsha. Shaw, Jerry Adams, August. Tastola Gomsa. Gwil Shibsha. Gomoy. I'm once again killed with hay fever, but all is well. So this podcast will deal with two bits of history. As you all know, this is the centenary of the establishment of the northern state. And, you know, that centenary never reached the heights of celebration its supporters expected or wanted. But in fairness, it was always going to be a tough sell. The story of the statelet named Northern Ireland is not a proud history. An apartheid state built on sectarianism, in which nationalists were always treated as unwelcome interlopers in our own country. And in its efforts to report on the hundred years of partition, the media couldn't escape the reality that it was and is a denial of democracy and a denial of the right of the Irish people to self-determination. It was the British Tories and the Union's establishment who brought the gun into Irish politics as one sought to outmaneuver the Liberals in Westminster and the other sought domination over a part of Ireland. Last week, the BBC and others broadcast black and white newsreel footage of the visit of the British monarch George to the opening of the Northern Parliament in Belfast City Hall on June 22, 1921. His speech, in which he spoke of his love for Ireland and his affection for the Irish people, would not be welcomed by some of today's unionist political leadership who eschew any notion that they are Irish. George referred in his inauguration speech to the Northern Parliament on Irish soil and has hoped that the new Parliament would manage the situation with wisdom and moderation, with fairness and due regard to every faith and interest. His appeal was to all Irish men. I've always found his uh, speech interesting, but sadly, that notion of moderation and it's very typical, well-known tactic of the empire to dress up these events with all the pomp and ceremony. It marked the partition of the island. And the notion of moderation, or even wisdom, had long been ditched by Carson and Craig and the Tories. But one lesser-known aspect of that visit by the British King occurred in South Armagh two days after the Belfast pomp and ceremony of the opening of the Parliament. On June the 24th, three trains carrying the trappings for the opening of the Parliament, as well as the members of the 10th Royal Hussars Regiment, a cavalry unit which acted as personal bodyguard to the British King, were heading south to the Court of British Military Camp in County Kildare. Volunteers from the 4th Northern Division of the IRA, mostly from South Armagh, ambushed the last train which was carrying the Hussars and their horses in the townland of Akhad Alig, a few miles from Ahadoil train station. The volunteers clambered up the grassy steep bank to the track, removed boats, 
holding the face plates of the outer rail in place. And when the scouts watching the track from Fathom Mountain confirmed the train, the trains were on their way, the volunteers then unfastened the tracks and removed them. At about 10.30, the train containing King George's Royal Escort sprung the simple but effective trap and was derailed, plunging some 20 feet into the unoccupied field below. At least four British soldiers were killed, although this figure was disputed by the IRA as an underestimate, and scores of horses were killed. The IRA leader responsible for the attack was Frank Aiken, who later went on to become a Fianna Fáil and a minister. Unless Michal Martin thinks I'm glamorising a phase of our history, the reality is that this is one of his people. The story of this daring and audacious ambush and its aftermath and the impact of partition on that part of Ireland is told in a new publication from the South Armagh Centenary Committee entitled The Aha Doyle Train Ambush, the Fourth Northern Division and a Century of Partition in South Armagh. It's well worth reading. It's a detailed account of that historic period and the emergence of the IRA in South Armagh. Now, I believe, and I have for a very long time, that it's important that people tell their own stories. I think that's especially true for nationalists and republicans who, in the decades under Stormont and then during the period of conflict, often found that their truth was not being told and was buried under the weight of propaganda. In recent years, thankfully, that has begun to change. During the decade of centenaries, Republicans have been very active in bringing their local history to life, celebrating it, reflecting upon it, and sharing it with this and future generations. A century later, after that ambush, after the opening of the Parliament in Belfast, Republicans remain committed, including a new generation of South Armagh Republicans, remain committed to bringing partition to an end. Inspired by the example of those who took part in the struggle for freedom and independence 100 years ago. Now, thankfully, there's a peaceful way to achieve this. The people will decide. Our referendum, as committed to in the Good Friday Agreement, is the way forward. All United Irelanders have a duty to campaign for and to plan for the Unity Referendum. The Irish Government has a special responsibility coupled with its constitutional obligations to plan for the future and for a united Ireland. So I want to commend Sean Ferran, the author of this little booklet. I want to commend the South Armagh Centenary Committee for bringing this compelling history to life and for reflecting on a century of partition. If you want to get a copy of the Aha Doyle train ambush, the 4th Northern Division and a century of partition in South Armagh, Contact the South Armagh Centenary Committee at T. Cullen Centre, Two Bog Road, Mullabon, Newry, BT 359TT, or check it out at on Ashog on the Falls Road. So, the other little bit of history I want to deal with, and I've dealt with this for a long time, 
in these podcasts and in blogs and other uh, writings is the disgraceful state of Moore Street and the effort by a British developer, at least a British uh, located developer, to demolish part of the historic terrace. So the next round of this is opening up the week coming. At the beginning of June, Hammersons, the property company, lodged three major planning applications for big, big developments in and around Moore Street. It defines the area as Dublin Central. It's a 5.5 acre plot which stretches from O'Connell Street to Moore Street. And that covers the Moore Street Battlefield site, which the National Museum of Ireland has described as the most important historic site in modern Irish history. And the applications, if successful, will effectively destroy much of the 1916 rising heritage of the site. Some of the buildings in the terrace that runs from 10 to 25 Moore Street and where the last meeting of the 1916 leaders was held and scores of those who exited from the burning GPO where they took shelter will be demolished under the Hammerson plan. In addition, the Hammerson plan gets to go ahead, if it gets to go ahead, the four buildings that currently make up the derelict National Monument, 14 to 17 Moore Street, will be overshadowed by a huge high-rise hotel and office buildings. So the Moore Street Preservation Trust, the relatives of the signatories of the proclamation, is seeking your support to oppose the Hammerson applications. James Connolly Hearn, the great-grandson of James Connolly, is the spokesperson. And he has, along with relatives of other leaders and volunteers who fought in the 1916 Rising, he's fought and campaigned tirelessly for many years to preserve Moore Street from the bulldozers and the diggers who want to destroy this hugely historic site in pursuit of profit. In a letter a few days ago to supporters of the Moore Street Preservation Trust and all who wish to see the area developed and protected, James appealed for letters of objection to the Hammerson Development Plan to be submitted to Dublin City Council. And I want to echo that appeal. I have already submitted my three objections. So there isn't much time left. It closes on Monday at the close of business, July the 5th. There are three separate planning applications. Reference number 2861 forward slash 21, 2862 forward slash 21 and 2863 slash 21. It costs 20 euros to submit an objection to each one. It took me 20 minutes to work my way through the website. So if you choose to object, it's best to choose number 2862 slash 21. Objections or observations, as I referred to on the council website, can be handed into Dublin City Council office or online. So if you're interested and you're listening to this on Sunday, go to the Dublin City Council website 
all lowercase in dublincity.ie and view or search planning applications. You then have to register to make your observation. You will receive confirmation of payment and an automatic acknowledgement receipt. Please retain the receipt as you will need it should it should you decide to make an appeal to onboard Plan Allah. Sixty euros is a lot to ask anyone to to be up, but perhaps if a number of members of one family or if you're in a club or your workmates, if you're lucky enough to be employed, just share it among us, or as I've said here, just make the one objection. The, the issues which I identified in my objection are all relevant to protecting Moor Street. For example, the planning application for Hammerson runs contrary to the decision by Dublin City Council, which unanimously voted on June the 14th to list 10 to 25 Moor Street as protected structures. The Hammerson application does not adequately recognise Moor Street as a place or a town place that is of special architectural, historical, archaeological, artistic, cultural, social or technical interest as a designated architectural conservation area. The Hammerson plan will not secure, protect or preserve all 1916 elements on the site. So if you want more detail on this, log on to the Moore Street Trust site. It's uh, https www.facebook.com Moore Street Trust. It's really uh, important that when the application process, or at least that phase of it, which allows objections, when it closes on Monday evening, that as many objections are lodged as possible. So, Shane, to Sulagom Goe, Shibsha, Gomoy, Oshamak, we finish with a wee bit of music. And I'm going to leave it to Marty to choose something appropriate about the Moor Street, Battlefield site, the GPO, the Rising in Dublin. So, Slan Live, Gormogov, thanks for listening. Many years have rolled on since the Irish Rebellion. When the guns of Britannia They loudly did speak When the bold IRA Battled shoulder to shoulder While the blood from their bodies Flowed down Sackville Street The four courts of Dublin The English bombarded Our spirit of freedom They tried hard to quell But amid all the din Came a voice, no surrender.
was the voice of James Conley, the Irish rebel, a great crowd has gathered outside of Kilmainham with heads all uncovered they knelt on the ground far inside that grim building let His life for his country about to lay down. He went to his death like a true son of Ireland. The firing party he bravely did face then the order rang out present arms and fire James Conley fell into a ready made grave the black flag they hoisted the cruel deed was over gone was a man who loved Ireland so well there was many a sad heart in Dublin that morning when they murdered James Conley, the Irish rebel, God's curse on you, England, you cruel-hearted monsters, your deeds they would shame all the devils in there are no flowers blooming, but the shamrock it's still growing on the grave of James Conley, the young.